Welcome to Tripod, our travel retail theme podcast series in collaboration with the SEVA Group. I'm Martin Moody. I'm Roger Jackson. Nice to be back, Roger. And as usual, you've got a very special guest lined up today. Tell us who's on the programme. Got a great guest today, Martin. So we've got Nick Cook, uh, General Manager of Diageo Travel Retail. Uh, he's been in role about 15 months now. Um, someone I actually used to work for many years ago. And he's obviously now in my former role over at Diageo. So to hear about his fascinating career and also a bit around what Diageo's approach has been uh, during COVID um, and you know the, the changing direction those guys have taken strategy-wise. Really excited to hear from Nick. He'll be a really great guest for us. Yeah, looking forward to that. Well, as always, we're going to kick off with a brief look at the weekend review. Roger, you picked out an issue to discuss today. What's it going to be? I think we should talk about travel restrictions, Martin. Um, you know, we heard, you know, 24 hours ago, the UK, um, you know, taking Portugal off their green list and a few other changes, places like Bahrain, etc., going on uh, to red. And I think what we're seeing now is most countries going more in a, a sort of protect mindset, which is, look, we're not going to let anyone in unless you quarantine for 14 or 16 or 20 days. So I think when I look at all of that, I'm bringing that back to our industry, travel retail. I think we all probably need a little bit of a stop and think. I don't think anybody, we, we always expected a bumpy ride back. But I don't think we expected, you know, an up and down as much as this. And I think, you know, with a lot of the different countries' responses, they're very varied. Like the US, for example, is, you know, far more open. UK is far more closed. And then countries like Hong Kong, where you've been living, Martin, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, they're virtually closed, you know. So I think it probably means that, we're in for a far more rockier ride than I expected. And I think many in our industry uh, to get back to you know, close to uh, 2019 levels. And I think we're just going to have to have a think about that because whilst on the, um, the easy view is you go, oh, the impact is just passenger numbers. It's not really. It'll massively change mix uh, in airports. So if I look at somewhere like Dubai, which is obviously my home location at the moment, you know, you look at Indian subcontinent, it's a huge part of their um, category share at the moment. Huge, huge. And obviously, you know, from three weeks ago, it's zero. Um, so it, it impacts all sorts of things, promotions, range, you know, uh, your brand ambassadors, what languages they speak. So uh, we've got a very complex industry, as everyone knows. And I think with the travel restrictions, I think it probably needs a bit of a stop and think. What, what do you think, Martin? Well, absolutely does feel like two steps forward sometimes and one back, two back, sometimes three back, as we've seen in the in the UK with the Portugal decision. That's caused absolute outrage here, Roger. I'm back in the UK for the last few days. I actually managed to jump on a flight and came out of Hong Kong. It's great to be flying again, coming in here, doing a relatively easy quarantine at home. But then you hear um, the government uh, U-turn on something like Portugal, and it just erodes confidence in the whole travel market. So travel stakeholders here, Heathrow Airport, Gatwick Airport, Manchester Airport, and many others are up in arms about what that has done, not just in terms of the UK, Portugal tourism traffic. And remember, a lot of 
Brits are out in Portugal yeah, at the yeah. moment, so some are rushing back, but also what the statement that it sends out in terms of confidence in, in travel booking. So it's really bad news. It's really badly handled. It's just another blunder, I'm afraid, in a long line of blunders by, by this government. It's a frustrating process and there's many, many tough days ahead, I'm sure. Well, I think it's time now to meet a special guest that Roger introduced a little earlier and discover the fascinating story of Nick Cook. To this episode's special guest is Nick Cook, General Manager, Europe and America's Global Travel at Drinks Giant Diageo. Welcome, Nick. Glad to have you with us. Hi, thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, we are happy to have you, Nick, and I'm going to pass over to Roger. Uh, Roger, you're going to kick off with a few questions, and then later on in the session, I'm going to take Nick to our resident desert island. Hey, Nick, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Roger. I'm good. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Um, not many people probably know this, but I worked for Nick for over two years, actually. Um, going back quite a long time ago now, it probably was, yeah. uh, 12, 13 years ago. Um, Happy I actually, Roger. Yeah. They were. We had a great team. And I, I think there's one thing that sticks out, if you don't mind me sharing. I was probably about week one into working with you. And you said to me, look, uh, we, we, we were looking after a couple of customers and we went to one specific customer and we we're having a load of supply issues at the time. And you said, look, come along to this. It'd be good for you. Get a bit of an induction. So we turn up. This guy walks in, meeting starts. And Nick just taps me on the shoulder, Martin, and then taps me on the leg. And he keeps looking down. I'm thinking, what's going on? I look down and the guy who's running the meeting, his knuckles are bleeding. Like literally, and I don't just mean it a little, I mean like literally they're blooded. So me and Nick, I couldn't keep a straight face throughout the whole meeting. And still to this day, me and Nick have got absolutely no idea what he'd been up to. Oh. We were like, is he a cage fighter? Has he had a fight outside? Literally, they were just streaming in blood. Do you remember it, Nick? He was quite an intense character, right? So yeah, I do remember it. Well, that was probably from the supplier meeting just before you, so you... Yeah. You're probably a bit worried what you what you were letting yourself in for. Yeah, he was a big lad as well. And then the other one, um, we had a, a similar customer, and Nick said to me, "Look, come and meet me." And I remember the only place we could find was outside of a pub on a, uh, a bench table. It was a beautiful day, and I took Nick from a presentation, worked on it for two or three days. It was like a a more for more presentation because the customer wasn't happy with margin. And it was about a, a 15 page deck and we had everything in there. We took it in printed. It was literally a couple of weeks um, after we stopped working together, Nick then moved, which I'll come on to in a second. And we get there and the buyer stood up, usual stuff and said, is this presentation going to give us any more money? Me and Nick both went, yes, it is. And she went, promise me it is. And Nick went, yes, it is. So I start and I'm, I'm going for it. And after it, she, she grabs the, the deck, flicks through, looks at the end and she went, there's no more money, is there? <laughs> and she went, meeting over and walked off. And me and Nick were back at, the, uh, at, back at the pub about 10 minutes later, not drinking, I should add. Uh, <laughs> um, Challenging times with those customers. And I'm, I'm glad to say that I think people don't operate like that as badly anymore anyway. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, no, I think uh, I think they were different times. Yeah. Talking about that, literally a week after our uh, one minute meeting, as I call it, you you then moved with the family to Ghana at the yeah. time. I remember you're all in Africa, so I guess great place to start. Um, London to Ghana to Seychelles, and then obviously Nestle before that. Yeah. Talk us through sort of your career, how you ended up at Diageo, and I guess where you've ended up now, which is with us in uh, Travel Retail. Yeah, so I, um, yeah, I mean, I joined Nestle pretty much straight out of uni. I actually did do a programming job, oddly, first out of uni, so computer programming, which many people find bizarre. Uh, and um, and I remember thinking uh, at the time there was an opportunity to, to move on to the sales side of that business and you got a company car. So that's really what, what I wanted. Right? So that motivated me to move across. Uh, and then um, an opportunity, that sort of opened my eyes to the sales world, right? And, and an opportunity came up to join the Nestle graduate program. So I joined there pretty much my first serious job out of uni. I spent eight years there and I loved it. I had a, had a fantastic time. Worked with some brilliant people, uh, learned tons, um, but I also met my wife there. So uh, I, there's only so long you can go on sitting next to your wife at work, I think, right? Uh, to the point where uh, I, I was ready to move on, let's put it that way. And uh, and uh, there were only a couple of companies I really wanted to go and work with, uh, and Diageo was one of those companies. So I was lucky enough to get in, uh, and I started actually kind of in a commercial planning role, uh, looking after the grocery channel. Um, which was good fun, but it was a hard work, really hard work, actually coming into a business that I knew nothing about uh, and trying to learn that. And, and I can remember somebody calling me a swan at the time, actually, because I think they were sort of saying, well, you seem very calm. But underneath, I was thinking, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing here. So spent a, a lot of time getting up to speed. And then I moved into that, the Tesco job. Uh, I spent a bit of time uh, managing them. Um, and uh, And that gave me an opportunity then to kind of uh, move across into Africa. So I moved into the Africa region um, and uh, I did a, um, a regional job. So based out of London, but, but traveling a lot. So spending a lot of time on a plane and most of my time would have been in East, West and South Africa. Um, and I loved it. Right? It gave me such experiences that I never would have had. Uh, and I think when you only work in one sort of market and I was definitely caught up in the GB sales world, you can't see other stuff around you. And I think just moving out of that really opened my eyes to different experiences and, and how breadth of experience gives you so much more. So that naturally led me to a hunger to actually want to, you know, really immerse, immerse myself and live in, in one of the markets. And the opportunity came up to, to move to Ghana as I took on the commercial director role there. And that was an amazing time from, from a personal point of view, a little bit challenging. So we just had our first child, right? So and we had to wait six months. I think it was. I was out there on my own until uh, my wife and, and um, first boy could join me because of yellow fever. Um, and so I was on my own, which actually in hindsight was probably a good thing because your first job, you know, in, in a place like that, you got a lot to learn. And I was able to sort of settle stuff before the family kind of came across. So, um, and it was it was amazing from a personal experience. I learned so much just around you know how different people live and the cultures and 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 that was exciting. But the business part of it too was really exciting. So we launched a, a mainstream spirits business there, which was very small when I started, and I was able to take that to you know a reasonable scale by the time I left. I had some brilliant colleagues who you know were just worked fantastically well with, and and our business performance just skyrocketed. So. Really enjoyed that time. 
But I was really clear, and I remember being clear with my bosses around me at the time that I was I was really keen to go and be a, an MD of one of our markets, and that's what I wanted to do. And that's when the opportunity came up to uh, to move to the Indian Ocean. So I can remember my boss. I was in Ghana on a Tuesday morning, and he said to me, listen, this opportunity's come up. And we'd spoken a little bit about it before. We were sort of trying to craft what, what could be next. And he said... Uh, we need you to get there pretty quickly. And by Tuesday evening, I was on a plane. So literally within a few hours, I kind of packed my stuff up and, and I was off. Um, my wife had gone back to the UK to have our second kid. So uh, so literally I, I, I went out to, uh, to the Seychelles. Uh, and I mean, the Seychelles was a wonderful place. Uh, eventually we had child number two, Charlie, and then my wife and Charlie and William all came out to join me there. And we, we had a fantastic lifestyle, as you can imagine, all right? So I was there for four years. Uh, I, I could be up, out of bed, and, and on um, a wakeboard within about five minutes, you know, at 5 a.m. with the sun coming up. Uh, or I could be out fishing or what have you, and, and it was phenomenal. Um, just an amazing, beautiful place. Uh, and the business side of that was just great fun, actually, because I it was hard, probably the hardest job I've ever had to do. Uh, I think going to that first managing director uh, position where everybody's looking at you uh, and and being in a, a foreign place you're, you're a big fish in a very small pond uh, so media to deal with ministers to deal with all of those things that, that uh, it feels like you're living under the microscope quite a lot so that was an adjustment for sure and the business was in a really challenging place it had been neglected for a while in terms of investment and what have you so um, so it was a big turnaround job, uh, and we had had a reunion Madagascar and Mauritius as well. So, and they all had various different elements of of um, uh, of needs and uh, and business opportunity. So it was great, and, and I learned so much from that. And then that took me into joining Global Travel. Right, um, I think I started on the first of February. Uh, I got a trip out to Miami to go and see a couple of customers there, and I went to Hamburg, I think, to see uh, to see a customer there. And then that was it, bang, uh, lockdown, didn't leave the house for I don't know how long and and have spent the last 15, 16 months on, on Zoom, right? So um, so that's where we are. And what's your, um, I, I know it's difficult because you haven't traveled, but so far as someone who's obviously done a similar move to you and obviously uh, a similar job, what's been your views of travel retail versus, I guess, domestic, albeit you've, you've done domestic in different uh, regions, but... What, what are you seeing as the differences between the two? Um, I mean, there's a huge amount of complexity, right? I, I think uh, that's one thing that I would call out. Um, just managing different channels and uh, pricing, different currencies across different markets, the, the nuances of the different traveler uh, demographics and all of those things to consider. So trying actually to manage a sort of, you know, reasonably large uh, uh, geographical footprint and take all of that into account whilst not getting too detailed and still being able to put, you know, do things at scale, I think is, is a different challenge that you don't get in domestic markets. And, and I think it, people don't fully understand that until they work in it, right? Um, so that, that's definitely uh, one of the differences. The other thing I would say is, I think there's just so much opportunity, right? I, I actually do believe that. Um, I think COVID gave us uh, an opportunity to really forensically look at the business like we'd never done before. And I think, you know, there were some pretty big trends there around um, penetration rates dropping, 
so the, the spirits category not growing at the same rate as passenger numbers you know and then really starting to, to that really started to trigger us to think what are we going to do differently and and actually how do we be the partner of choice to accelerate out of you know this pandemic yeah. and so that led us to a category approach right which i think was actually fairly new particularly in the alcohol industry for for global travel um, and last year, of course, at the Moody Davit Expo, we launched our uh, brand new category strategy and, and a very bold ambition to try and double the category. And you know me well, Roger, those things excite me, right? I, I like to, to do big stuff and not do sort of baby steps and incremental. So, yeah, it's been good fun. Um, and I think we're slowly starting to get some traction as that now. We just we just need more passengers, right? So, yeah, uh, which will come, I'm sure. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure you're looking forward to just getting on a plane like like I have I, uh, past few days, Nick. I, I miss the strange things. I even miss sleeping on a plane, which is bizarre. But yeah, so no, I can't wait. No, I was very happy. I came through Hong Kong International Airport the other night and uh, went through security and they took a look at my bag, which of course has got all manner of electronics in it. So they said, sorry, we've got to do a, a secondary check on this. And I thought, yes, I'm happy. I'm, I'm back doing doing what I love the most. And yeah. so, you know, going through security was almost good fun. And it was just great being on the plane, watching the, you know, the seat back uh, flight map and flying over all those places again. And I, and those are all the things, of course, that you would have expected to have been doing yeah. by now, but this, this thing's run and run. But I'm sure as soon as you can, you'll be back on a plane and getting out, actually seeing those customers face to face, right? Yeah, I, I guess for, for all the things that I've mentioned about how good it's been, you know, that in terms of being able to kind of reset some of the things as a business, I have found it challenging that I, I love touching and feeling a business. I need to see it and see what's going on and talk to customers. And I haven't been able to do that. Uh, and that's been a real frustration. So, yeah, that's I just cannot wait until I can actually get back on a plane and, and help people grow businesses. And that's what excites me. So You are listening to The Tripod with Roger and Martin. All right. Nick, tell us through your career, which has been a fascinating journey so far in, in, in terms of categories and channels, but also geographies, um, who have been the key influences in your career, but indeed in your life to date? So life-wise, this might be a bit corny and a bit obvious, but I've, I've got my parents, I've got a lot to thank my parents for, right? Uh, my my dad uh, is a sort of uh, ex-military background, uh, an engineer, very uh, precise, uh, regimental uh, kind of individual and, and disciplined. And I've got a lot of that from him. And my mum was a marriage guidance counsellor. So very softer skills, huge amount of emotional intelligence. And, and so I feel incredibly lucky that I, I think some of my successes along the way have been down to the blend of those things. Um, so I, I, I couldn't. It wouldn't be right of me not to call them out, right? So I think that they've had a huge influence on my life, naturally. If I look to professions, there's been a few people who, who probably don't even know this, right, who, who have had big influences on me. There, there was a chap called Adam Grundy at Nestle. Um, I think he's still there, actually. Uh, and he was a, a kind of good old-school account manager stroke salesman who just put a lot of discipline into me. Like, he was very particular about 
keeping what were customer record cards at the time. I mean, I'm going back quite a long time, right? Um, and just the discipline and rigor, are, 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 you know, and preparation, core selling skills, right? So he had a huge impact on me in that way. The other two people I'd call out, there was another chap at Nestle, uh, a guy called Paul Walker, who, who became a very good friend of mine in the end. But he was probably the first boss who, who actually just gave me a lot of freedom. He didn't really tell me what to do. He actually just sort of asked big questions or territories of areas that I could go and delve into and solve and come up with solutions. And that, that was incredibly liberating for me and has actually been a big cornerstone of how I like to try and manage people and, and how I'd like to be managed going forward. So that, that working with him was where I feel like I really changed my aspirations and my performance at work. I, I became a totally different person. So he, he, he definitely had a big influence on me. And then in my Diageo times, I've been very lucky. I've had lots of people that I've worked with who have been fantastic. But there was one guy I would call out in particular, um, uh, a guy called Andy Fennell, who used to be our chief marketing officer. Um, and I can remember being at a conference in Kampala. And, and most people, there'd be like 200 people in the room. And it was an internal conference uh, about Africa as an annual kind of planning conference. And most people, I think, were there, you know, enjoying the sort of sociability of it. I was a lot younger then, sort of having good fun. And I noticed him. I watched him walk around the room. And he spoke to, I'm not kidding, I think he spoke to every single person in that room. And he, so he was obviously a very senior leader in our business, but he took the time to just interact with everybody. And I just thought that was incredible. Uh, and the, the, the power of that and what it had on the individuals, I just think was fantastic. So I really like the guy. I, I, I got to spend a bit of time with him. Just a solid, pragmatic leader that, yeah, I enjoyed his company. So. Nick, I, you spoke about Nestle. I always remember you telling me I needed to get a job at Nestle because you can take your pet to work. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. Then people would be sat there with a cat on their desk. In the, in the Purina division, that's that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get I need to get a job there. I can bring my cat <laughs> off to the work. Um, what about outside of work? Interesting. I know you're a big Birmingham City football fan, but what are your interests out of work? I know you mentioned cycling and fishing, but what is it that gets you going outside of work? Yeah, I mean, I try and cycle two or three times a week, right? Uh, I'm loving the fact that the weather's turning a bit. And, and again, actually, that was one of the benefits of the pandemic is the roads were very quiet for a long period of time. Yeah. So I do love that. I also enjoy my running. And where I live, I've got sort of access to the river and lots of parks and stuff. So I really enjoy that too. I miss my fishing terribly. So I got heavily into fishing in Seychelles uh, and well, actually, all of my stuff is still there, sort of ready for me to go. So as soon as I can get on a plane, that's one of the destinations I'll be going to. Um, so anything active, I would say, Roger, you know, uh, obviously my boys keep me on my toes, right? So they're seven and five. Wow. Uh, so there's, there's never a quiet moment in the house. Um, and, and very recently, we've just bought uh, a ruin of a house <laughs> that is going to have to be completely gutted and, um, and rebuilt from scratch. So... There's a huge amount of time, you know, spare time that goes into that at the moment with architects and what have you. So yeah. many a time I've probably thought we've bitten off more than we can chew, but hopefully we'll get there in the end. Fantastic. All right. Well, Nick, we're going to um, relieve you of Zoomdom. Now you've been locked down for a, for a while since you came into the travel market and not been able to get on a plane. We're going to put you on one. We're going to put you on Diageo Airways just behind you there. And we're going to take you to a paradise island, a desert island. 
and we're going to let you have a few creature comforts while you're there. Okay. Having discovered that Roger was a um, closet or not closet Lionel Richie fan, which surprised us a few weeks ago, tell us about your music taste. So I'll give you an album or a song to while away the time on the island. What would it be? That's just such a hard question. I, I mean, I love music generally. And, and uh, I mean, I can call out like from my teenage years, Metallica, Nirvana, some of those old school stuff to, uh, to uh, Dire Straits. Uh, I thought, you know, maybe Nina Simone is, is an artist that I love. Uh, the, her voice is amazing and, and just what she does with songs is fantastic. But there's, yeah. there's one album that actually I probably used to listen to a lot on the plane uh, to help me sleep. Uh, and it's a, a, an Italian composer, which I'm probably not going to be very good at, at pronouncing his name. So he's a, he's a, a composer and a solo pianist. Uh, I, I think it's... Uh, Ludovici in Inuado, I think it is, and there's an and the album's called La Scala, right? And it's just one of those beautiful pieces of music that uh, helps me fall asleep, or yeah, if I want to relax or whatever, that's something that I would put on. So, yeah, I think if if that's the only music I'd get access to, that that's probably what I would take. Well, and a good choice. Any any listeners in Britain um, or viewers in Britain, uh, if you tune into Classic FM, you'll hear that music quite frequently. It's really yeah. beautiful, as Nick says. Okay. Um, you've got some downtime on the island too, so you're going to be doing a bit of reading. What's uh, what's your choice of literature or magazine or anything that uh, you know keeps the keeps the old grey matter going? So I don't read a huge amount. Uh, with all the things that I talked about that I do generally, I don't sit still a lot, right? Uh, but if it, if it was a magazine, it would probably be a classic car magazine. Uh, so I do enjoy my cars, massively so. Um, but in terms of like a book that, that's had an influence on me or something like that, and, and maybe this is a bit cheesy, and I'm sure everybody's probably read this book, but it was a, it was a book I was given when I, I was early on in my career called Good to Great. Roger might even smile because I probably would have told him about it, right? And there are just two things in there that have really resonated with me and have stuck with me all through my career, and that's... Uh, always really understand about what your economic engine is as a business, right? So, so how do you stay true to that and, and understand that and get the most out of that? And then the biggest part of that was a topic that they talked about called level five leaders, which is, I guess, all about being a selfless leader. And, and the best leaders are people who have other people's interests around them ahead of theirs and the companies ahead of theirs. And that, that's just really resonated with me. And, it, and it's something that I, I like to be able to try and do myself. Okay. And on the island, Nick, you get to host a dinner party. Yeah. Um, you can invite four people. You can invite anyone, dead, alive, friends, family, celebrities. Who would you have on that table? Four people. Okay. Uh, well, I'd probably put Al Pacino on there. That might be a bit cliche, but I, I mean, just always been a massive fan. Um, Scent of a Woman is probably one of my favourite films, so... Uh, I think he's he's an awesome actor, and I'd just love to meet him. Like, I just think that would be fascinating. Uh, then I guess you got to mix it up and have somebody probably a bit more current and a bit more fun. I'd probably say Freddie Flintoff, right? I just think he's good crack and, and would be enjoyable, and that would be an interesting dynamic to see the size of him with Al Pacino. Um, and then uh, maybe Nicole Kidman. I've always had a secret crush on Nicole Kidman, so that's that would be a guilty pleasure, I suppose. Um, 
Yeah, those would probably be the main three. Who else would I think about? I thought you'd about Steve Coogan. Uh, maybe, yeah. And then I guess... In character, in character, of course. Oh, absolutely, Alan Partridge. No, but um, yeah. if I could... I've, I've, friends and family... If I could bring back my grand, right, I guess, uh, yeah, that would be wonderful. So. There we go. El Pacino, Freddie Flintoff, Nicole Kidman and your grand. And my that, grand. Would be, exactly. that would be a brilliant, brilliant dinner party. Yeah. Okay, well, we've got to... We've, um, We've got to give them something possibly to drink uh, from duty-free. I'm going to allow you one duty-free item. It might not be um, a drink, of course, but I suspect with your background, it just might be. Yeah. So one duty-free item. There's only the one airport, on your way out, Nick. What's it going to be? I wonder, Roger, do you know the answer to this? I don't know, actually. Yeah, obviously, it's been a while since we had a drink together. I would probably say Tanqueray if I had to get Tanqueray yeah. 10, without a doubt. Yeah. 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 There, you, there you go. Great, great choice. Okay. And Nick, once once you leave the island, before you go back to work at, at Diageo, we're going to give you a holiday somewhere in the world because not many of us have had those. Where would it be? One place in the world and why? I would love to get back on a catamaran and be sailing around the outer islands of Seychelles. So that they are some of the most magical, special places I've ever had the pleasure of and uh, been lucky enough to go to. And I have one particular picture which somebody took of me and I'm sat in a chair on the top of a, a catarang with a Tanqueray 10 in hand with my fishing tackle around me. And, I, and that's my happy place. So I would love to go back there. If that doesn't send sails of Tanqueray soaring through the roof, nothing else will. What a brilliant picture. Nick, it's been great to have you with us. Thanks for all your time. I hope, like you do, that the travel market comes back quickly and strongly. Uh, we believe in it. Roger believes in it. And we know you and Diageo do. And better, better times are coming. And uh, we wish you all, uh, all the best in the, in the next stages of your career. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Gentlemen, that was Nick Cook. Thanks so much. Roger, that was really great. I think the fact that you two guys had worked together in your earlier years um, helped. You had a, a great insight in, into Nick. Uh, you both lived the same professional life to a great extent. And it was uh, great to hear the banter be between you, but also uh, to learn about Nick's career journey. It's been, it's been uh, quite some tale, hasn't it? Yeah, as Nick's one of the good guys. You know, you work with a lot of people, uh, but Nick is one of those um, characters that is sort of works on both sides. So he's, uh, you know, great at his job, but also comes across as very charismatic, um, you know, great with customers. He really can do both. And he's a great line manager as well. And I think uh, he's obviously been at the Azure already 15 months in, tra in the travel retail role. And I think give him some time, you know, out with customers, even understanding the industry even more, I'm certain that, you know, the Diageo Travel Retail team will uh, will see those share gains and everything else that Nick's been trying to drive there. So uh, great, a great fellow, be a, be a nice man to have a Tanker A10 with, that's for sure. So, Roger, it's been great to be with you again. We look forward to your next guest and our next episode. But for now, I'm going to say this is Mark Moody. See you next week. See you next week.